Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right, welcome to another podcast week. Amazing, amazing guest here today. Um, you were recommended to me by somebody else, which is always so fun when that connection happens because you just, I just know it's going to be such a good conversation. So welcome Ruchi Call, and um, I will let you introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, to say who you are, whatever you think is relevant to this podcast, and um, maybe just why you would say yes to coming on a podcast like this. <laughs> we'll start there. Okay. Hi. Thanks so much for having me, Amanda. I'm so happy to to be here. Um, like you said, my name is Ruchi Call. I am a family doctor. Um, I have had many incarnations, I think, as a family doctor from uh, training residency, uh, at a, training at a residency program, so training residents to do full spectrum care, which was, you know, at my first job, it was actually, the, I was the only person who did truly full spectrum because I did deliveries and peds and this huge segment of women's health that most people were like, well, right? Like, so, and then the rest and adult and hospital and hospice and all that fun stuff, right? So, um, that was my, like, I get to do all of the things That's version. Really amazing to be offering birth care and hospice care in this, like, that is just so all inclusive, incredible. But that's family <laughs> medicine, right? Like when people, that's amazing. yeah, people are like, so what exactly do you do? And I always say, like, if you could imagine a small town with a bunch of people in it and one doctor, I would do mm -hmm. all the things that I would have to figure out how to do to take care of all the people who live there. Right. So, oh. and a lot of times people are limited by what their doctors can offer. So I love, 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 um, being trained in all of the things and being able to, to, um, offer all of that. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, I got married and had children and then there was time and all this stuff. So I've, like I said, have been through many iterations. I've done everything from part-time residency work after my full-time business to, um, to locums work. I've worked as a hospitalist in the hospital. I've worked at urgent care. I've worked, um, at a, a sort of private corporate place where they, where you, you know, you take care of employees and they don't go through insurance. And I have my own now, I have my own DPC, uh, which is a practice with a model called direct primary care. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love, love, love it. Like I just spent 45 minutes on the phone with my one patient and her daughter-in-law because she's doing poorly. My patient's doing poorly. And her family doesn't quite get it. And I've been trying to get them all on the same page and mm. somebody's busy and they're working. And I finally just was like, let me just take this time. And I had the time, right. I had, she was scheduled for an hour visit and she said, I can't make it. I don't feel good. And I, I had that hour to then call her, talk to her, 
update her, call her daughter-in-law separately, talk to her about what was going on. So I'm able to spend so much more time with my patients and my DPC. Um, And I get to do what I want. So I don't have to ask a organization or an administration if I could say, take care of women who are having a miscarriage or they have an unwanted pregnancy or, you know, whatever it is, I get to decide what I want to do as long as I you know, make sure I have malpractice coverage, which I do. Um, I get to do all the things, which I think is awesome and amazing. Is and this is, a model of care covered by insurance? Nope. It is a membership care. And the whole point is that it's supposed to, um, the whole point is that it's affordable. So I have patients who don't have insurance and who find it actually more affordable to come to me than to not deal with their health issues and then have bigger health issues. Um, basically the people, patients pay a monthly fee and it really depends on like the area that you live in and the cost of living of that area. Um, but you know, instead of the insurance saying like, well, we're only going to pay for a 15 minute visit, you get to decide how much time you're going to spend with your patient. And so they pay a monthly fee and they get my phone number and they text my, you know, they text me whenever they want. I literally, you know, people, and they're, they're not like crazy. People are not like calling me all the time. They call right. like, but I, I tell them like, I want you to call. I want there to not be an obstacle because oh, when there is an, I can't uh, even, it's so good. when there is an obstacle to care, like you and I know, right. That's when people do poorly. That's when they do worse. And so like my biggest example, cause it's just, to me, it's like the most benign example. I'm like, if you're in the grocery store and you're like, which brand of prenatal vitamins should I buy? Like take a freaking picture and send it to me and oh. I will tell you. Right. And like, yeah, maybe I'll be with a patient and I won't respond to you right then or whatever, but like things like that can be important. And if it's important to you, then it's important to get an answer and, and getting an answer two weeks later to, you know, why you're dizzy or why you're having headaches or why your chest hurts is, is not a good answer. So you know, the point is to reduce all of those barriers. And if you are paying a monthly fee, then you're not going to think twice about like, should I text her? Should I call her? Like, is it going to cost me? It's not going to cost you more money. That's all. It's all inclusive, right? Anything that you do in our four walls. So, you know, the most fun, I don't know. I can't even say what the most fun I've had in the last year, but like I took out a lipoma on this patient who doesn't have insurance and he had a huge, like, between baseball and golf and softball size lipoma in his armpit and he drives a truck. And so it was bothering him to drive the truck. And so we figured out like Labor Day weekend, he had a few days off and I totally did it in the office. It was super fun. Um, my friend's dad, who's a surgeon was like, I don't think you can do that in the office. You're not a surgeon and you're, you know, whatever. And you're only family medicine. And I was like, well, no one's going to do go. him. Right. <laughs> and it was so cool. And I, you know, had pictures and I brought it home to show my kids at dinner and they were not happy with me. Um, <laughs> but I just, you know, that was like totally one of the highlights I want to say of the last year, but being this able to- is like, uh, so I have a friend, um, who has been exploring this model of care. She was actually going to open her practice about a year ago and then the pandemic happened and she's, she put it off a little bit, but this model of care, I hope just takes off. It is so amazing. It is so like human centered, holistic. Um, It's just like, I, 
I am so grateful for you for pioneering this, this level of care, um, because I hope that we really shift in this direction as a people, like as a humanity. Yes. And it's been Um, like, for me, it's been so great. My parents were both were, are both doctors. mm -hmm. Um, and so growing up, they were busy all the time. Um, my dad is peds ID. He worked at NYU. Um, which was like, when I got older, I was like, dad, what was your commute? Like, he said it was two hours each way every Uh day. Right. So even though his like day wasn't crazy, like we, we didn't see him all the time. Right. And, and, and I want to say he was like the more emotionally present of the two of them. And my mom had a private practice in radiation oncology and she did all the cleaning and all the cooking and all the, like, she made our clothes sometimes. Like she was so busy, so, so busy all the time. And I just was like, I don't want to be that busy. I, I want to be able to help people. I want to be able to connect to people, but I also want to enjoy the life that I have and the life that I've been giving and given and enjoy, like, why would I make kids if I wasn't going to hang out with them? And, you know, um, I but just what remember- I love most is like, when you, when you honor that in yourself, this is what your patients get to do too. Like, yes, they get to have an experience where they are more present in their lives. Because yes. if you're able to text your physician and say, which prenatal vitamin can I buy? And you just move on. It's just like, I get to now be present with my kids for the rest of the day versus questioning and thinking and like, yes, you modeling, like what kind of life do I want as a physician? now your clients get to just live in their lives and they don't spend like hours and hours, like on back and forth phone calls and waiting times. And I yes. miss the call from my doctor and like all the craziness that is our medical system. Um, that right. ripple effect is so amazing. Right. Like this patient, she called today. She was, she wasn't feeling well. She called and canceled. And I'm like, something is up. So instead of waiting for her to reschedule, I called her and I called her daughter-in-law and I talked to them separately about the whole thing. And now they have a plan for going forward and what we're going to do and even changes to make between now and when she can physically sit down for a family meeting, which is our plan. So, you know, in a regular practice, I would have been like, you know, oh, she canceled, whatever. I'll have to call her later. I'll call her at the end of the day. I'll have five minutes or I'll do it in like while my husband is cooking dinner. So I have to piece out of that, you know? And so now my, my daughter is in remote school, but you know, um, and my preschooler is out completely, but, but before the pandemic, I would like, I loved this. I dropped them both to school in the morning. I hung out with them. We got ready. It was super fun. I actually had a chat with them one day and I was like, we're always rushing to get out the door and I hate rushing. And they were like, six and two, five. Yeah. Six and two. And, um, and I was like two and a half and I was like, let's not rush. So like, how are we going to do this? Do you guys want to get up 15 minutes earlier? Do you want to, you know, would that we had sat down, we had a conversation about it. So they started with the getting up 15 minutes earlier and then they got better at, you know, being like, okay, let's do this. Let's do that. And I got better at not being like, hurry up, you know, and we'd get out the door. I would drop them to school. I would make myself a cup of tea at my office. Cause it's all like, I get to choose where my office is. So it's all within our town where I drop my daughter off for school, where I drop my son off and where my, my office is all like within less than a mile of each other. And so, um, 
then I would sit and I would see patients until two 30. And then I would say like, I'm going now. And I would go and pick up my son from school. Then I'd go pick up my daughter from school. I would come home, you know, the nanny would be there. So at that time we were kind of transitioning off of a nanny. So she was full-time and we were, you know, she was becoming more part-time. Um, and if I had patients scheduled for the afternoon, you know, she would hang out with the kids. And if I didn't have patients scheduled for the afternoon, I could have her stay or go. I could do something else. I could hang out with them. Sometimes I just kept her and also hung out with them and had a good time. And like, it just, it's so freeing. And when I tell other doctors, yeah, it's so what's so interesting to me is when I tell other doctors that this is possible, they're like, it is absolutely impossible. Right. And when I tell patients that it's possible, they're like, oh my God, that would be so amazing. And they're like, but I would have to pay. And, and that becomes like a, like, well, I can't do that. And they're unable to see, you know? And so sometimes you, you use things like, okay, do you go to Starbucks? Do you get a Starbucks every day? Like if you just, yeah. it, it is the same, it is cost the same amount as if you got like, or less that as if you got like a Starbucks every single day. So like, is it like, what is it worth to you? And what is that value? And when you don't have the insurance saying, well, you can't do, you can't see them for more than 15 minutes or you can't do this kind of a procedure. Okay. So let's go back to this. Um, I forget what you called it. Lymph something like the armpit guy. <laughs> uh, the lipoma. Okay. So you provide that care and he doesn't get, I think you said he, maybe you said she, maybe you said they, I don't know. He doesn't get a separate bill. Cause it's just, no. so, it's just so wild. And no. And then our goal is also to be safe and appropriate and also minimize the cost to all of our patients. And so I, it was because of the size of the lipoma, which is just a collection of fat, right? Yeah. Because of the size of the lipoma, it was recommended that we send it for pathology. And I was like, oh my God, pathology is so expensive. This is crazy, whatever. And somebody said, check this one guy out. I checked this one guy out and basically he wasn't in New Jersey anymore. He was in New York. We called them up and they were like, absolutely. Somebody who doesn't have insurance, totally fine, whatever. You know, typically we charge $300 or more. And, and they gave us a price ahead of time. They were like, this is what the price would be. And I was like, is there any way that it would change once you got the specimen? They're like, no, when we quote you that price, we're quoting you that price. And so my patient then didn't also have to figure out like how, how to do this. Right. So we were like, okay, so the pathology people are going to charge a hundred dollars. And I said to him, like, is this okay with you? Or is it not okay with you? I yeah. could take it out and not do pathology, but my recommendation is to do pathology because that's the safest thing. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I could totally pay for it. Cause I was like, then if there's something else and in there that needs have, further workup, like, do you have all of your patients? Like, do you talk to them about how to create basically their own health savings account? Like, like, no. So, so the, you have that hundred dollars when the time comes around. That's a good, that's a good thing yeah. to do. Let's yeah. So, we, so actually one of the reasons that it's currently not on the list is because per federal law, you can't use your HSA to pay for. Yeah. Well, I don't mean like a, like yeah, yeah, yeah. a verified HSA. I just yes. mean like. <laughs> right. So, I mean, if it's not a verified HSA, you can use whatever, right? Um, but there are actually some insurances are allowing people to use their flex spending account to pay for a DPC yeah. membership, which is interesting okay. too, interesting. because they they know that their patients have better outcomes and they're less sick because they get yeah. the care when they need 
it. And so they're not then chasing this cough that turns into a pneumonia, that turns into a hospitalization, that turns into an intubation. It's just yeah. like, it's dealt with when it needs to be dealt with. Because and it not started in the grocery store. I'm having trouble breathing. Yeah. And so somebody literally texts me from the grocery store, yeah. right? All right. So this is like a totally amazing conversation and people might be like, how is this relevant to abortion? <laughs> but it is, it totally it is relevant. Is. So let's talk about what that looks like when you, when someone in my audience has an unplanned pregnancy, be it unplanned, I didn't mean to, I didn't intend to get pregnant or unplanned this, this fetus, this baby, this pregnancy is not viable the way that I hoped it would be. So yes. um, I always feel like unplanned covers both those um, experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Life so, is unplanned really. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what does that look like for you as a physician in this model of care? So before the pandemic that looked like actually the very first um, patient that I saw when I opened my practice was a medication abortion, a, a patient who oh, needed yeah. a medication abortion. I had a colleague who was like, I have a patient who needs this. I am not trained in this. I know you are. Can you help? Yeah. Um, and I was like, sure. Let me just open my practice right now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he was like, when are you opening opening? And I was like, July 1st was supposed to be, but I haven't gotten this. And she was like, how quickly can you get it all in line? And I was like, well, I was supposed to have it done. So let me just push through and get it all done. Um, I love that your first patient was a medical abortion. It was. And so when I called the malpractice carrier, which was like my big thing that I hadn't done, I was like, it needs, I need coverage for this, you know, and whatever. And for both kinds, because I've been trained in both kinds and both kinds, meaning medical abortion. So using a medication or a surgical abortion, not necessarily in an OR, but just in the office and office procedure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I don't do OR procedures cause I'm not an OB. Um, so I get to decide whether I can do that or not. Right. Like I don't work for a hospital. I have colleagues who are like, well, where we trained, they were very, you know, supportive of women getting all of the care that they needed. But where I work now, you know, my director is like, how badly do you really want to do this? Let's revisit this in six months, or this is not something that we do here or, you know, and I've definitely worked at places who, who were full spectrum, all inclusive and other places who were like, no, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with people threatening us. We don't want to deal with, you know, the whole litany of, of stuff that comes along with it. But what's so interesting in family medicine is that people walk in the door for all sorts of conditions. So, yeah. you know, my lady who canceled today, she has pretty moderate heart failure and she's in her eighties. And then mm -hmm. someone else came in and brought her son who basically had an outer ear infection, poor guy. And he had some wax and we cleared out the wax and gave him some drops and someone else comes in for baby vaccines and a blood yeah. draw, um, which has been super fun as an aside, my dad is retired and 
I'm like, want to draw blood on babies? Cause I don't. And he's like, sure. So that's been, you know, super fun, but I get to do all of that because it's my practice and it's a yeah. DPC. So I don't have to now get an approval from the insurance. Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do it this way? Can we do it that way? Like I can do it how I want it. And that also means that I can do it how my patients want it. Yeah. Right? Oh my gosh. That's so, right there. Yeah. And so when somebody comes in and, and says, or somebody today cancels and say, uh, says, I don't feel good. I don't have to say, well, I'm not going to get paid if I call her. So I'd rather she comes in. It doesn't really matter to me. She came in on Sunday, which is another thing I get to do because I have people who work and patients who work, which means that sometimes Sunday is the best option. And so one of my staff is happy to come in on Sunday and leave her three children at home with her husband. And, you know, we work Sunday mornings from eight to 1130 and people come in, they get their blood drawn. They, you know, if they're busy during the week, like how do you fit it in? If I'm getting paid some paltry amount for each patient that I see, do I really also want to give up my Sundays when I'm spending every evening charting and seeing hundreds and hundreds of patients a week this way? I'm happy to go for three hours on a Sunday morning. It's totally fun and chill and then gets people what they need. So all of you and love, well, I'm making an assumption, but that, you know, and love your clients and your patients in a different way. So you added like, I want to go help you on Sunday because I know you, I know your family, I know your, and it's just like so much more personal and connected. Yeah. Okay. So let's come back to the unplanned pregnancy. So someone comes to you with an unplanned pregnancy as this DPC provider, um, what can you actually do? Like, what is your, and again, it's like your personal comfort level, but what can you do for this, for this patient? So, you know, it really is depending on what the patient needs. So before the pandemic, um, what we had was just, and this is how they sort of did it when, when I trained, what they did was a medication abortion and a procedure were the same cost. Okay. And the reason that they're the same cost is that the medication was actually quite expensive and the efficacy of both of them is equal. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing that's different is patient preference. Right. And so if you make price an issue, then people may choose one or the other based on price. But if you say like, okay, they're equally effective and I can, you know, I, I can cover my cost with a medication ab- abortion and then I can, I, it's my office. I get to do whatever I want. I can make it the same price for a procedure, yeah. right? Because the biggest part of the visit is not the five minute procedure. It's the conversation that happens before the conversation that happens after and any follow-up that's needed. Mm -hmm. And so, so that was originally how I, um, designed it in my practice, because that was how I was trained Mm -hmm. to say there's really there because people will always ask you, which one is better. Right. And the answer is what, whichever one is better for you whatever one makes you feel better. Right. Um, some people will say I've had a very terrible experience with a doctor and a speculum and whatever, and I don't want anything invasive. And other people will be like, I just want this done and I'm totally fine with, you know, whatever. So it really does depend on, 
on what that patient wants. So having that conversation, making sure the patient is sure that this is a choice that she wants to make and recognizing that this is an irreversible decision, Mm -hmm. right? You can't make this decision and then be like, I changed my mind. That's not how it works. Um, so sitting down and making sure that they're like, this is oftentimes the care I provide as a post-abortion life coach is like, everything happened so quickly and I didn't really have anyone to talk to. And now it's over and I'm faced with all this like chaos, like mind chaos. And so the practice you're providing, I'm not saying it eliminates that afterwards, like that need for emotional, mental health care afterwards, but I would imagine that it drastically reduces it because you had the time and the attention and the connection to really talk about the care that you're providing versus like it all being kind of rushed and plowing through protesters and setting up yes. and like all the chaos that is right. so amazing. Right. So there's no protesters. Right. And then, <laughs> and that's one of the beauties of not having it at an abortion clinic and having it yeah. at a family doctor's office because yeah. you're not advertising. You're not saying I do this, but when your patient comes and shows up and is like, fuck, I'm pregnant. Right. I have, a patient who's almost, she isn't 16 now, but she was almost 16 and uh, came in and, you know, her parents were saying like, oh, she's got some, you know, vaginal discharge. And I was like, mm, it was probably normal. You know, like, does she have any itching? No. And they were like, wanted to get her in ASAP. And I was like, you can come now, you know? And so they brought her over and I had her separately in the room and she, you know, was finally said like, actually my period is late. And, you know, I see her every month for another condition that she has. And so I was like, are you having sex? Yeah. Cause I knew she had a boyfriend and she was like, yes, I just did for the first time. And now I'm Mm -hmm. freaking out. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at her and I said, well, we can handle that. And she sort of like her face looked up and she was like, what? And I was like, I have want to be pregnant chills right now. <laughs> I said, do you want to be pregnant? And she said, no. And I said, so first we'll check and see if you are. And if you are, we can handle that. And if you're not, we can handle it. And she just like completely dissolved into tears, but also relaxed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and her parents relaxed when I went outside and I talked to them. And so like, even my patients, most of the time don't know that it's something that I do until we're in a situation. And well, I'm like, what happened to me with my abortion. It was my OBGYN, but I didn't know. I, I thought I was going to have to like find a plan, right? It's like classic. I thought I was going to have to find a Planned Parenthood and plow through the protesters. And, right. and I told my OB and she was like, okay, I got you. And I was like, what? I didn't know yes. you did that. Yes. But the fact that you are not like, this was specifically like my OB versus like you're providing the whole care, right? And so maybe they're coming in for a different reason, but you can be like, I got you. You Mm -hmm. don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to make any new appointments. Like totally. That is just, I mean, it, it's funny because it feels so like, it feels like this like innovative and inclusive, like modern way to do care 
which is like basically bringing us back probably hundreds of years to like, <laughs> yes, there used to be. <laughs> yes. And not being rushed and actually having yeah. time and eye contact and physical touch. Like a lot of times, you know, people, my, um, my classmates in residency, um, a bunch of the guys, they used to laugh because they were like, you make all the patients cry, like all of the patients cry. And I was like, it's really that I touch them. I take their hand and I hold their hand and that somehow it breaks that barrier and they let their guard down, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're always like, oh my God, all your patients are always crying and you know, whatever. And they were joking because they were like, well, you have all pregnant patients anyway, because I loved to to do OB when I was in residency. And they were like, but you did make that one 65 year old guy cry <laughs> who had had like a traumatic experience. Yeah. And so you have the time to do that. Right. So when we were trained to do abortions, it was a busy family medic- medicine clinic. It was not like a super chill, like my waiting room, almost the, the only people who hang out on the sofa in my waiting room are my child and my medical assistant's child, right? Like we don't, the re, the way that DPC works, if you schedule a patient every hour, you don't have a full waiting room. And what I do is I have like a 15 minute buffer after at least, to, and, and I know, I know my patients, I know who's going to take an hour and a half. I know who's going to need the end of the day so that I don't have anything kind of pressing at the end of that and that sort of a thing. And so, you know, people walk in and there's no one waiting and it's just them and they get to have that space to be just them. So when I was training, we could do that in the room. And I remember, you know, my my, I had a very anxious, agitated woman who wanted an abortion and was in an abusive relationship. And she was just very upset and was waving her credit card around and was like, just take this and do this. And, and I got very anxious and I walked out of the room to talk to the preceptors and I was sort of spazzy and they were like, okay, but this is something you have to learn. Like the patients are going to come anxious and you have to be able to, it's kind of like what we learn in coaching, right? You have to learn to hold the space mm-hmm. and you have to be the calm in their storm because they have so much going on for them. And so we did learn to do that in the room, but that whole process of waiting in a busy waiting room and waiting for however long, and we would always give them our phone numbers. We were required to give them our cell phone numbers so patients could text afterwards and, and mm. let us know what was going on and whatever. And, you know, if they had any questions, et cetera, et cetera. And so part of it was my training and part of it is is really how I wanted to set up this, this office for, I, I made this video when I was in the middle of all this coaching stuff. Um, because I did get my coaching certification last year. Um, and I made a video just talking about my practice and why it's called what it's called. And and I was talking actually about how when I was a first year resident on OB, one of the nurses said to me, she said, why are you that way? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what does that even mean? And she was like, when you walk in to a room of a laboring patient there. She was like, we know that, you know, that there's like five other people in labor and somebody's about to like pop somebody out over here. And some, somebody's blood pressure is high over here. And, and, and we know that, you know, that because we've just talked to you about it. But when you walk in the room, you sit down, like you have like three hours and you sit on the side of the bed and you chat and you hang out and like, like what's going on. And I sat with her and I said, well, Uh, I actually had 
surgery when I was in medical school. I'd, I've never seen so many doctors as I did when I was in medical school. I had so much stuff going on. Um, and I had some bad experiences, right? And I said to her that the way that I show up in the room is the way I just, I imagine that it's me sitting in that bed. Mm-hmm. And I think of how I would want a doctor to show up for me, what all of the things that I'm freaked out about are, why all the questions that I have, I don't want them to walk away in the middle of my conversation. I don't want them to, you know, not answer all my questions. And so, you know, cause they were like, you somehow managed to be yeah. like busy, but also not busy at the same yeah, time. Really? And I feel I- that way about our family doctor. Like he sits down in the room and like, I'm the one who's like, well, I better, we better move this along so you can get to your next patient. And he's just like, totally chill. He's like, so how's things? <laughs> I'm just like, wow, you were amazing. But that's the um, only way you're going to get the answers to ask yeah. the question. So then like you're seeing this 16 year old girl and now in two years when she has some other health thing, like you, you know her, like, you know, her whole story. It's not like her OBGYN knows her reproductive care and her heart surgeon knows her heart care and her, and not that your patients don't need all those specialists as well, but like, you know, them, you know, them as a whole person, like physically, emotionally, probably spiritually. Yes. And it's actually super fun to then work with the specialist, right? Because then I call them and I'm like, all right, I'm sending my patient to you. And then I tell them this whole long story and they're like, holy crap, you know, this person. How do you know this person so well? Yeah. And I say, yes, I do. And they always say, thank you so much for this heads up. I never would have gotten all this information in the room with a patient. And this has been really helpful, you know? And so, you know, DPC is an affordable way for patients to get care. And I always stress to my patients that I don't do concierge care. In my brain, concierge care, you, well, in, in the facts of concierge care, you, you pay a retainer and then sometimes you pay extra per visit. Um, but often they charge your insurance per visit. Mm-hmm. So if you say have a high deductible plan and they charge your insurance, but it's really all your responsibility. Now you're paying for this and you're paying this retainer. What I find that people who are looking for that kind of care, they're not really looking for a doctor. They're looking for like someone who'll do whatever they say, right? So they're not really looking for advice. They're like, I want an antibiotic right now. I want this, right? This is how I want to do it. Um, And so I'm very clear that this is not what we're doing. You are paying me for my clinical judgment and expertise. And I'm going to tell you what I think. And you don't have to take my advice at all. Like that is not how medicine should be working. It shouldn't be like, we tell you what to do and then you go and do it. And if you don't do it, then you're a non-compliant patient. Yeah. It's your life. You get to choose. You don't want to have a mammogram. I need you to know these are the risks of not having a mammogram. Yeah. You know, and I have a patient who was like, I'm not going to do a mammogram and I would much rather have breast cancer. She said that to me. And I was like, really? And she said, really? And I was like, okay, as long as you get it. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so I I do DPC, but the one, I always tell people the one concierge thing that I do is that if you have a specialist appointment and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to supposed to say, or I'm really nervous, or it's going to stress me out. If you can schedule it through my schedule, I will go with you. Wow. Wow. My reason that I go with you, (laughs) the reason, and it's, it's like, it's literally like a win, 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 win. Like there's no, there's too many wins. Um, 
and there's never too many wins, right? But basically I go with the patient. So they're not stressed. I show up. And so the doctor and the staff sees when I say like, I'm their physician, I'm here with them that, okay, they're actually being advocated for and they're being taken care of. It's like mind blowing push them off. They're not going to be like, Oh, you missed your appointment. Like, Nope, this is, and I've, I've had that before where I've shown up with a patient and they're like, Oh, you missed your appointment. And I'm like, Nope, it was scheduled for this time. We got a confirmation. This is what it was. And the patient's too anxious to say anything. Cause they're just so yeah. upset. Right. And we go inside and you know, the doctor's like, like a physician doula. <laughs> but what happens is they have a really short appointment. Right. So I can cut to the chase in medical speak and say, yeah you know, this is Stephanie, this is her issue. This is what we've tried. This is what's not working for her. This is what she doesn't like. And this is what we need help with. It really helps the specialist because they're, they can get a very good picture pretty quickly in their mind. And then they can either choose to sit down with a patient and say like, now I have more time to talk to you. Yeah. And explain it that way. Or they can be like, I am super running late. And so this is what I think we should do and kind of talk to me about it and say, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And we can bounce some questions off of the patient. And then usually, so before COVID, we would always have like a lunch date or a coffee date after. And so we would leave the doctor's appointment and then then we would talk about it and be like, this is what their recommendation is but this is their, their perspective. So if we're going to go, if we're going to go to a cardiologist and then a nephrologist, we know that those two people are going to say opposite things. Right. And so where is the piece in the middle that works for you? And like, it helps me too, because then I, I can ask questions and get answers. And then I can figure out who are the doctors that I work with that I like, and who are the ones that I don't like. And I say like, okay, we're going to go this other patient I took to, this was a great doctor. So now I'm going to take this patient too, because I worked really well with them. And I'm and just, it helps me build community. You. We need to clone you in every community. So okay, my plan for, I'm not cloning myself, but I, um, this is my big plan for the year. I want to start a program that helps doctors open this kind of practice oh. so that they can sort oh. instead of, because what I did was, you know, there's a bunch of free resources out there to be like, do this, do that. And then, but then you have to figure out what's right for you and figure yeah. out what it is that you're offering. And, and, and then you have to become a different person. You're a very different person when you work for a hospital and they feed you patients and you just see patients. Mm-hmm. And when you say like, you should come see me. And this is why the experience mm-hmm. is so different. That whole like marketing piece that we're so yeah. scared of as doctors, we're like, I can't do that. Yeah. It's so funny because Sunny, who sent me your name, she was like, you can totally market. And I was like, no, I can't. And she was mm-hmm. like, what do you do when somebody has a UTI? And they're like, no, thanks. I'm not going to take the antibiotic. You market them the antibiotic. I totally sell them the antibiotic. I'm like, this is why you should take it. This is why it's really important. How about you don't want it, but I write it for you anyway. And you pick it up and then you have it so that if you need it at two o'clock in the morning, it's there. Right. And she's, and I'm like, Oh, but I'm not selling them anything. She's like you, but you are, you're, you're convincing them that this is the right thing. And as doctors, we don't have that confidence that we know how to do that to kind of sell our own practices, but this is what patients want. Patients want somebody who knows them. They want somebody who cares about them and we all do, but you can't care about 3000 people. Yeah. The way that you can care so about you five have or six hundred own practice set up in a way that works really well for you. You get it. You're in it. You don't have to think too much about it. And now you're like feeling ready to help other physicians do the same. That's so amazing. Yeah. 
So okay. Can we go back to abortion for a second? We sure can. The anxious woman who just wanted to hand you her credit card and be done. And she was in an abusive relationship. That was in your old practice. Or like, that was in my residency training. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now you're in your new practice. Yeah. What can you offer her in this level of care that you couldn't, or maybe you did in the other level of care, but it wasn't quite the same. Well, the whole experience, right? Because the other level of care, the, the care was there and what I was learning because it was, it was not when I was training residents. It was when I myself was a resident was and I was learning, yeah. Yeah. right? So that holding of the space, but, but my whole office knows how to do that. Right. So like my staff is the same way. They're like, come in, sit down. You're feeling a little, they can tell when you walk in the door They're you know, they'll text me and they'll be like, this person's here early. We think they're nervous because X, Y, Z, like they will get information out of my patient. They're so, they're so good. I have the best staff in the entire world. Mm. And but it's a, like literally people walk into the space and they immediately calm down, right? Yeah. Like all that hustle and bustle of like, oh, there's a waiting room and here's a line and you have to mm -hmm. sign up your name and then we'll call you when we're ready. And then when you get called and we'll, you know, do your vitals and blah, blah, blah. And you get shifted around from here to there. You know, if they sense that somebody's anxious, instead of being like, because it's, there's one person in the waiting room and it's that yeah. person, right? There's not a waiting room full of people. And if they're like, I could probably do their vitals, you know, they kind of assess it, but a lot of times they'll be like, why don't I just bring it out to you where you are? And you can just sit there and relax. Or like, why don't I just give you 10 minutes? We have the time, right? Yeah. We have that space to say like, you're feeling a little stressed and overwhelmed and you're not ready to talk to the doctor yet. No problem. Hang out. You and know? this holistic care approach, you know, that she's coming to you with an unplanned pregnancy that she doesn't want anymore. But at the same time, how much of her distress is because of the abusive relationship, which you right. can also talk about. Yep, absolutely. And ha like, right, there's like so many things yep. that you can hold space for her versus maybe she goes to like a strictly abortion clinic and she's got to deal with the abortion there. And then she also needs the therapist. Not that, right. again, not that your clients don't also need therapists, but and they, like, she's compartmentalizing all of her, just all of her stress and discomfort and just totally ease. Right. Whereas you get to pull it all back together as a whole picture. Yeah. And I definitely like, I have therapists that I work with very closely that I recommend to my patients right. and, and just that weight of saying like, Oh, Dr. Call recommends this person. So I'm going to go yeah. see them. I think that in and of itself helps them. But I also, I text them all the time. I like, I'll, I'll be like, Hey, Tim, I just talked to this person about this other patient, mutual patient of ours. And this was a suggestion or like, we'll call and chat about stuff. And like, I really feel like what I've done is accumulate the best people to work with along the way. Mm -hmm. So building that team, but then reassuring the patient, like we have got you. Yeah. We've just oh, my God. got you is the biggest piece. And then when they're like, when you walk out the door, it's not over. Right. I mean, that's all my listeners wanted. Right. Cause most of them are coming to this show, um, or my care after their experience. And like all we wanted myself included when I was going through it is like someone to be like, I got you. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. We've got you. If I can't give you what you need, I know exactly who can. Exactly. And I, you know, we've got you. And then just that relief of you're, you're facing so much 
anxiety, like so much um, shake up, right? Yes. And know that someone's got you. Yeah. You're not alone. You're not alone. I mean, that's like every episode comes back down to like, you're not alone, but like this really feeling not alone in your medical care <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. So it's so important. And it's like, tells us why so many people have kind of shied away from the medical Mm -hmm. profession. And you know, what's so interesting is like, when I didn't have this kind of practice, I would go to work and be like, fuck, like there's 60 people on the schedule or like, right at urgent care, there's no schedule. But like at the end of the day, it would be like, and I remember one day we saw 62 patients and I was like, and I talked to one of the administrators and I was like, oh my God, I just saw 62 patients in a 12 hour period. And he was like, let's try for 63. And I was like, okay, you just don't get it. Like, nope. Like, this is not our goal. Our goal is not to see more patients in the same amount of time. You're not really seeing them. Yeah. And you know, it was urgent care. So I used the flexibility that I had. Yeah. yeah. So if I knew somebody needed more time, I would let them stay in their room yeah. and I would, and I would be like, I'll be right back. And I'd go see two or three more oh. patients. And then I'd come back and I would talk to them some more and let them process, you know, or, you know, if I had to call a specialist and I would just say like, Oh, I called their cardiologist. I'm waiting for a call back. And I would go see a few more patients, but then I'd be able to come back and urgent care does give you the flexibility for that, which I liked. But it was still a lot of, you know, I just need an antibiotic. I don't really need your medical expertise. And like people would, sometimes people would sit down and talk to me and they'd be like, why are you working here? Like, why do you not have your own practice? And I was like, I do, but I just, I'm doing this instead. And it's, it's like, we just don't have that faith in ourselves that we could make something like that run. But, but really that is all patients want. Patients want to be taken care of. Yeah. And to be given agency. Like, do you have people contact you who are not already members of your care because they know you're like, you provide this kind of full spectrum care. And then what happens? Did I provide abortions? No, people don't contact me for that. Or maybe some other like. So one person did one person. And I think I talked to you about her. um, She kind of found out from a mutual friend, um, that I do abortions and she texted me and was like, I found out that you do this. And I said, yeah, I do. Uh, she said, do you still do it? And I said, yes, I still do. And she said, could I come see you? And I said, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, we just set up an appointment and she came in and, you know, she, had all the feelings. We had all the discussion. She had a long discussion with me about how she was very sure that she did not want to continue this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. She was not interested in the least. She had, you know, kids going off to college and was just like, yeah. no way. Yeah. Right. And she said, but I feel really guilty because my husband, you know, we grew up in a very religious uh-huh. background. And even though we're not very religious now, he's feeling very like this is he's feeling guilty. He's feeling like he wants to do this. And I, and I sat with her for a long time and I just said, how do you feel in your body? Cause we're not going to do this until you're a hundred percent sure. And she's like, when I just focus on me, I am a hundred percent. Like, I know this is exactly what I want, you know? And she was really feeling bad about letting him down in her words. Um, and you know, we talked about who was going to have to deal with the physical 
actual pregnancy as well as financial stuff. And she was like, we didn't plan for it. He like, we didn't, we don't want this. We're not, this is not what we're doing. So eventually, you know, she sat for a long time and I gave her the medications and I gave her my number Mm -hmm. and I was like, I want you to call me and kind of instructed her how to use medications. And I said, I want you to call me, you know, at, at this part of the process. And she called me before that. And she said, can I undo this? And I said, no, we can't undo this. Remember, like, this is what we talked about. And she was like, maybe if there's a way. And I was like, no, this is not like undoable. And she was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm letting him down. And I, and I said, remember, let's go back to how you feel in you. And she was like, I totally do not want to be pregnant. I do not want to be pregnant. I do not want right, to. Right. She so was her like, wanting to undo it wasn't for her. But right. in that moment, you don't know. Like in that moment, you're like, I think I want to undo this, but really I'm right. worried about my husband. So yeah. we sat on the phone for an hour and we talked and we chatted about like all of her feelings and what was coming up. And she was super afraid of damaging her relationship with her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, you know what, this is something that's done, right? Like you've already started on this path. And I was like, but what if, so if you really want to have a child with your husband, you want to have another child with your husband, plan a pregnancy. Like clearly we know you can get pregnant. Yeah. Oh, you can get pregnant. So get like, now you can plan it. And she cracked up. She was like, no way. No way. Exactly. No way. Yeah. And I was like, there's your, yeah, yeah, there. And she just, she totally relaxed. And she was like, oh, like, I don't want this at all. He doesn't even want this at all. Like, you know, she said, but that if I said to him, like, okay, let's get pregnant now, he'd be like, no fucking way. Like, there's no way we're doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so working through those feelings, like what are those feelings that other people are going to have this judgment about me or other people are going Mm -hmm. to say, I should have done something different sort of a thing. But in both of them inside them, when they talked, they were like, we do not want to have another baby. Did you talk to her about whether or not she, you know, was responsible for telling her partner or had to tell her partner or like, did you have that whole conversation yeah. around like, this we, is your body, your experience? You oh, absolutely. Yeah. And she, I mean, she knew it, you know, she, she's a very smart, very with it person. And she's like, I totally know she was really worried about her relationship with her husband and wanting to have integrity in that relationship and wanting to show up as who she wanted to be. Um, but was struggling with his inability to deal with this part of his own yeah. childhood and what, and you know, I think she could see that it was thoughts that he didn't necessarily truly believe in, but right. it were thoughts that he were, was sort of indoctrinated into as a child. And then as an adult, he was like, we're not going to church. We're not doing these things. We're not teaching to our sons, but, but it held him back in that way. And it was when I was able to you know, and I had just finished my, my coaching certification. So when I was able to reframe it in that way, and she just totally relaxed, she went back and told him and he was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. (laughs) And, and it changed the whole, the whole experience for them. So having that space, right? Like I have space in my day. And so I do not have, I don't 
have a full schedule at my practice, but that is how I planned it. Because right now I have an almost seven-year-old and a three-year-old. And so, you know, my goal was to be this busy at this time. And then as they go to school, I ramp up and, you know, do those things. And so I see like two to six patients a day. Yeah. Um, but that means I want to go back because you said this particular woman was not already a patient, like a member of yours. Yes. She was like a friend of a friend. Yeah. So then I can pick up the phone and just call her and be like, let's chat about but it. how like did she become a member to get this care did you just offer it to her because you're nice like what no she just work? so I uh, for in terms of medication abortion and also um in terms of birth control because I feel like it's super important um that people have access to birth control I I don't require that people become members I they can just see me okay. for this one thing I and see. so Um, and like a lot of times people's doctors will only write them for like a month of birth control at a time, or they'll be like, why do you even need this? Or, you know, like we had an experience, the first, the first surgical abortion that I did in my, in my first job was, uh, an 18 year old woman who had a three month old baby and had pulmonary emboli in her pregnancy and was on Coumadin. And the residents put her on birth control because they were like, you cannot get pregnant on this. And then her primary care doctor who worked in my clinic, she told him, I don't really like how my birth control makes me feel. And he said, okay, so stop taking it. And then she got pregnant. And then she got pregnant on Coumadin, which is terrible, right? And so like it was my first, you know, my first procedure at that job. Yeah. Even though I had done tons of them before, but I was just like, oh gosh, you know, like, and the staff, we were just started, like, this was the first one done in the building by any of us. Right. And so, and I did the first one and the other woman who worked with me, who I work with now, um, which we haven't even gotten to that point yet, but uh, that part yet, but the other woman who worked with me, she was like, I'm going to be your nurse. So she like got everything ready and whatever. and, And I did the procedure and our staff one of the guys on our staff, he said, like, I don't, I'm not really comfortable with this. And I was like, you don't have to do it. You don't have to be in the room. You don't have to talk to the patient. You don't have to anything. And he's like, but I know her and she's been our patient forever. And I care about her. And I was like, well, the reason that she's in this predicament is us. Yeah. Somebody, one of us told her that it would be fine to go off of her birth control. So it is our fault. It's our responsibility. Whoa. Yes. And he was like, whoa. And after that, he was like, anything you need, I got it. Like, I will help you with whatever Uh, it is that you need. Oh my gosh. I have full body chills again. And most abortion providers, they don't, they want to kind of get to the point where we're not doing this all the time, right? We want to get to a place where, where there's easy access to birth control. So I will have people come in that are not my patients and they'll be like, I need birth control. And I ask them all the questions and figure out their risk and what's a good option and have a long discussion about them, about what, what will work best for them. And then I write them for, if, if it's a prescription, I write them for a month, I'm sorry, a, a year's worth of birth yeah. control. They don't need to keep coming back. Like that doesn't make any sense. Okay. So it, because it's your own thing and you get to do it how you want, you can bill and you can bill somebody individually versus them being a part of the member practice. Mm-hmm. That's so yep. amazing. Oh I mean, I do God. acupuncture. So acupuncture is separate. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. my patients who do like a, any sort of separate 
thing like acupuncture or an abortion or whatever, they get a 10% discount just because they're already members and I already know them. And I, it's a lot less work to figure it out because I already, I already have done that work. So um, just so cool. Yeah. But then since COVID, um, I don't know if you want to talk about this. You might want to edit this part out, but I will tell you, (laughs) but since COVID, so like you can't really advertise right about getting an abortion right. like blah or like here yeah. come here then yeah. all the picketers will be in front right and so but since covid there's a woman whose name is Rebecca Gompertz and this uh-huh. is why Sunny told you about me cuz I told okay. her about yeah. this thing that I'm doing and she was like so I don't know if you know who Rebecca Gompertz is but she is an amazing woman and my husband calls her the boat lady and mm-hmm. there is a movie a documentary made about her called Vessel V-E-S-S. How do you spell her last name? G O M P as in Peter E R T S. And yeah. she was actually in time in this this last um, you know, hundred most influential people of the year. Yeah. Um, she a long time ago, like in the 80s and 90s, had this boat and she would take the boat and she would park it outside of countries where abortion was illegal. <gasps> and then people would get on her boat. In international water, so they're not in the country. Abortion. She's amazing, right? And send them back. And so they're like, okay, you you didn't do this in this country, so it's not illegal, right? And then in the early two thousands, so that was called Women on Water. And then in the early two thousands, she started uh, Women on Web, so offering the same service but mailing Miffy and Miso. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they were doing it all over the world. And then recently, uh, I want to say three or four years ago, they started doing it in the U S because they found that the U S has a huge need of not enough access and people are not getting the care that they require. And so she started, so she started mailing pills to people even in the United States. And then when COVID happened, a lot of the Planned Parenthood shut down and all this stuff happened and the REMS were lifted. Um, So some people were actually doing it before the REMS were lifted. I started doing it when the REMS were lifted, but basically in the States where we have licenses and we do this, like we start, people started, you know, prescribing it themselves. So using Rebecca's uh, platform, she would funnel us all of the, uh, uh, like our state's cases because when COVID happened, the shipment from out of the country to in the country, there was huge delays and people weren't getting their pills on time and it was a big problem. And so kind of simultaneously, these things happened. Um, and, and what's interesting is the REMS are just like, they're totally ridiculous, right? The uh, REMS is like like me by REMS. Yeah. It's, um, risk evaluation and mitigation strategies, I believe is what it is. Um, but it's basically, it's only for like Miffy, Nexplanon, maybe there's something about Miso, but like it's for very select drugs Yeah. and it's clearly very political and it's never, but it's like, you know, you have to, the doctor has to, has to get the medication directly from the distributor. Like you can, you can't just you can't just say like, I'm going to do a medication abortion and write for a prescription and have the pharmacy fill it. That doesn't totally. work like that. Yeah. And I actually talked to one of my patients when all this started happening. I was like, look, at some point, 
we may not be able to mail anymore. And so I wanted to start sort of like a, gra a grassroots networks around to say like, if somebody needs it, like I am right here, I can help, mm -hmm. right? And she was like, why would somebody do that if they could just go to the pharmacy and get a morning after pill? And I was like, this is not a morning after pill. And, you know, I had this discussion with her and she was talking to her friend and she was like, oh my God, I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't even know you could get a medication abortion. Like why would anybody ever get a procedure if this was an option? Right. And so, and I live in a very, very educated part of the country. Right. And so people are like, they have no clue. So like we, people don't even know that this is available and because the access is so limited and then you have to find somebody who has a contract with a distributor who will get it from them and like blah, blah, blah. So basically through Rebecca in our, in, and it's, it's slowly growing with people who are, um, willing to to do this but basically I I mail meds yeah so like I, I don't have a package here because I finished all my stuff I and I I just got new Who's today got, oh okay so so I send like a mail. system that's who you're mailing to versus like people so, are contacting you directly so it's in so during COVID, that's what's happened. So I have seen people in person in my office, yeah. but I've all, there's also people who have yeah. never seen me yeah. face to face and they do like an asynchronous visit, meaning that wow. they fill out a survey and they say like, you know, they we ask all the things, do you know your blood type? Do you know if you're RH positive? Do they, do you know, like how many C-sections do you have? Like all, all the questions, right. To, and telling them like they need to be within an hour of a hospital. And, and if we tell you that you need to go to a hospital, you need to go, you need to agree to all these things before we do this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we've been able to serve thousands of women. And so in the States that we do it, it takes two to three, one to three days for patients to get their pills from when we mail them when they're mailed from overseas. So like in a lot of the, there's, you know, whatever, 18 states that have very restrictive rules about abortion. Mm -hmm. And so even a provider or a physician provider, whatever in those states could not mail it yeah. lawfully. Those patients, it takes two to three weeks for them to get meds from overseas. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and recently some of the shipments have even been flagged, like not flagged, but somebody wrote on one of them, it's, a, you know, anti, anti, abortion mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, no, anti-preg is what they wrote on one of the, the packages, which is, you know, an issue and whatever. So, you know, it's like, well, you don't want to advertise to say like, this is what's happening at the same time you do want to advertise, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's this fear of retribution, but there was an amicus brief by the office of Letitia James, who is the attorney general of New York and signed on by 20 states basically saying that this is ridiculous that we are we are restricting access to women all over the country and so if a doctor is still choosing to do this they're not going to prosecute in all these states um and and the, those are kind of the more um abortion supportive states right so mm -hmm. all the states in the south and the midwest like there's like no one's really helping or serving them. Like, and it's so hard because somebody will email and say like, I have this problem. Like, what can we do? And we're like, you could drive two States over. Like it's, they don't have good options. They just don't. Mm -hmm. So this has been a way for us to really get, get 
more people access in this time of COVID, but also to prove that this is a safe thing that people can self-manage. Like people are not, women are not dumb, right? Like if you can handle like, oh, I get my period and this is how, what happens when I get my period and I use this, like, and I know how to use birth control and all these things. I'm sorry, but women are amazingly smart. I remember in medical school, right? When they teach you about birth control pills, the guys are like, how do you use this? And the women are like, let me tell you. And it's not anything we learned in medical school, right? It's something that we learn growing up because it's something that we take responsibility for. Um, I have a friend from medical school who, um, is a psychiatrist, which is fine and lovely. Um, but also, uh, you know, Indian like me and grew up in a very, uh, I would say repressive, not her personally, but like all of us in terms of Indian culture atmosphere where like girls don't have sex before they get married. It's not a thing, which, which I didn't, but I have also been married twice now. So I had to like deal with all that drama. Right. And cause I was like, I did all the right things, but this, you know, I was in an abusive marriage and got out and then had to come to terms with like, well, I did the right thing, but now what do I do? Right. Like, but so my friend was, was, uh, also got married, got divorced. Um, and then was like, I'm going to take this birth control. (laughs) And she had no idea how to take it. And I was like, dude, you're a doctor. She's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you're supposed to do this stuff. Cause we, that's not what you learn even in medical school. It's what you, it's what women learn in life. And so if they can learn how to take birth control pills appropriately, they can't learn how to take one medication orally and put another medication in vaginally, like within a six hour period, like, yes, they can. Of course they can. Yes. The pandemic has created this like involuntary research study. Yes. (laughs) And it's amazing. Definitely. They have a lot of data and they're, and people are working all over the world and publishing as much as they can to show the safety and the efficacy. Yeah. Um, and Rebecca has had data for a long time. So I don't know if you want to include that part in there, but, um, so good. All right. Well, we've been talking for a while. Is there anything else you want, you feel like this audience wants to hear from you? Anything else that wants to come through you to my listeners? I would say that to me, it's so interesting but the thoughts that we're indoctrinated with, not just about abortion, right. But like about our bodies, about how we should be about what our responsibility is. Like you really can see the thought systems that are indoctrinated. I think it's very interesting when it's, it's very religion specific who has problems with what Yeah. So I was brought up Hindu and I have plenty of friends who are Jewish and, and there's not really a question of like, would we provide this or would we offer this? Like, have I personally ever had an abortion? No, but would I do it if I, if I felt like this is what I need to do? Absolutely. But I don't have this like layers upon layers of like, you know, guilt and shame and this is not right or it's not okay. And for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you know, in the pre-Christian traditions even, right? All the traditions that have pretty much disappeared or become become like fad things nowadays, like Celtic traditions and whatever, right? They had 
that was part of midwifery. They would have sage tea, like they would, and it wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, something's happening. I need to take care of it. Maybe they had it every month to make sure that their period came. And that was just how they did things. And it's the way that we decide to judge what people are doing, you know, and the most important thing I feel like that I learned all year last year, we were in a coaching call and this woman said, all judgment is self-judgment, mm, Whoa. which like, you can think like, oh, that person's fat or that person's annoying. And like, but those are all things you think about yourself. And so you might think you're not, you don't feel badly about yourself, but when you start looking at your thoughts yeah. and how you judge other people, that is often how you judge yourself. And that really comes up in abortion care because people are like, I don't know where this is coming from. Like, I never thought that I would treat myself this way, Yeah, you know, and so, so, so freeing to know that all of those thoughts are optional. Right. Wow. Everybody's mm. truth is something different. And so. Thank you so much for this whole conversation. It's been just very holistic and informative <laughs> in any way. So what a perfect. Thank you for <laughs> having me. Um, I'm so glad to know that you exist in the world. And um, I cannot wait to see you grow more awesome. of this kind of care all over Thank the you country thank you thank you thank you so much for having me this oh, is really fun amazing afternoon and too. i don't want it to end but it shall it will <laughs> bye thanks for listening and as always please consider sharing rating and reviewing this podcast it helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion if you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice 